Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. BBC Three take the wheel at 10.35 with the incredible flea bag, but right now it may not be monkey tennis, but it's still 10 on 10. This time with Alan Partridge. Aha! Done! Back of the net. Monkey tennis? In no way, you big spastic, you're a mentalist! Damn! Well, that was the noise. Monkey tennis? I got, uh, really drunk last night. Sick everywhere. Monkey tennis? Uh, minor criticism, more distance between the eggs and the bean. Monkey tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. You're a packing. Basically, Beef tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you on an E? Monkey tennis? Uh, can I have a glass of water, please? Hello, friends, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. Little fact, we actually have ten hosts all stood in a circle, but because of time constraints, only four of us get to speak. Sadly for you, it's the four whose T's are splashiest, but we're here to greet all fans of Partridge, or FOPs, as the abbreviation, no, initialism, no, acronym goes. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark, eh? Eh? Nick Older, huh? Huh? And Tom Stab, hmm? Hmm? So, uh, before we get on with this week's episode, uh, it's time to take a look at the week in Allen. Uh, I've got a quick tidbit for people who are listening to this as we put it up. Uh, Alan, as we know, is going to be on Comic Relief. That will take pl- place this Friday, BBC One. Alan is going to be taken to the streets of Norwich, and I can exclusively reveal, by exclusively, I mean I went to the Radio Times website, uh, he's going to be in the segment that's on between 10.35 and half past midnight. Providing a very useful service for a fops there, Adam. Good work. There we go. There we go. Uh, but as Alan says, you can you can freely get all these TV listings online. So uh, it's a wonder that Radio Times is still in business. 
Uh, anything else for this week in Alan? Other news, tidbits, etc.? Well, I think we've we've talked about uh, an article that was in, I think, was it Esquire uh, within the last week that we found? Oh, yes, that's right. There was an interesting comparison drawn between Steve Coogan and Ricky Gervais. Both had beloved comedy characters in 2004. Both have new shows at the moment. And the point Esquire magazine was basically making was that Steve has opened up more to collaboration and uh, the world of Alan keeps expanding, whereas Ricky Gervais uh, tends to uh, go down the rabbit hole of his own imagination uh, and his universe is contracting. Um, Adam and Tom actually I think you've both watched a few episodes of Afterlife the new Ricky Gervais show that is going out roughly at the same time as this time what are your general thoughts in comparison to uh, the Partridge output they're chalk, they're chalk and cheese I'm not such a fan of, of, of Ricky Gervais's show I think that it feels very heavily signposted in that it's sort of telling you what to think. You know, he's there's a point in the show where he, he really misses his wife and you have Elton John's Rocket Man saying, I miss my wife. Uh, and then there's a point where he sort of does something uh, slightly dubious to another character. And then it, there, there's uh, a song that's saying it, it's your fault or you caused this. It all just feels a little bit like it's very heavily signposted. And the cast is, it, the supporting cast is full of great people, but they're all the people you've seen before in other Gervais projects. Yeah, I mean, we won't, we won't spend too long on this, but I, I think I've, I've watched the whole series and um, I found it was, I, I think, mawkish is the word. Uh, and the character himself is quite irredeemable. And I think it's also quite predictable if you've seen a lot of Gervais's output, whereas I think the great thing about this time, because of the nature of collaboration, which was Esquire's point, it's quite fresh and there are a lot of things in the series which continue to be unexpected. What I'm hearing is, don't watch, it's terrible. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I think Adam dislikes it a bit more. I didn't hate it, but I also didn't love it and felt like Gervais has done a lot better. But uh, I just thought the, the interesting point to note, really, for fans of British comedy in general, that if you look at the, uh, the timeline, that The Office Series 2 ended on the 4th of November in 2002, and I'm Alan Partridge Series 2 began the week after on BBC Two. So the fact that those two seminal shows kind of did a handover with their second series... But then also they're just worlds apart in terms of what they were doing comedically at the time. Like, you know, I'm Alan Partridge Series 2 being so grotesque and manic and slapstick with the laugh track and The Office obviously being the direct opposite. Whereas I think if you now look 15 years down the line, it's almost like they've switched places with what they're doing in a way in terms Mm. of the subtlety of the comedy that they're making. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's what Esquire kind of saying. So, yeah, I think that's probably enough of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else on this week in Alan before we start diving into episode three of this time? Not from me. Okay. Um, so episode three of this time uh, opens with a four-way split screen. There's quite a few of these. I guess it's a good way of kind of pretending that they're testing the cameras, but also giving you a lot of uh, ambience in one go. Yeah, I mean, essentially you're seeing what you'd see in the gallery there. So if you were directing the show, you have lots of these split screens that show you every camera in the studio. Rom, pom, 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 I'm in a good mood. (laughs) I do love his improvised songs, like the one the other week about the Highway Code. Yeah, did you also notice Jenny's face in this section? She is at the end of her tether already. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it, it reminded me a little bit of Ron Burgundy as well. It's, it's quite an anchorman mm. thing to do, isn't it? When he's yeah. sat, uh, waiting to read the news, singing to himself about something. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I, lo- I love that, though, just the way it opens of him singing. Why is he so happy? We know why he's so happy, because he's finally the permanent co-host. Mm-hmm. 
and it also seems that that's opened the door for him to uh, move into a new beauty regime. So uh, <laughs> he's accused of having a spray tan by Jenny. He's got a compact mirror after seeing... Can anyone remember why he thinks having a compact mirror is acceptable now? He saw Pierce Bromholm uh, using one in LA Fitness, did he say? That's right, yeah. yep, exactly <laughs> yeah. that. He was quite shocked and then he thought, I'll get one. I just um, hope it wasn't um, a London branch of LA Fitness because presumably... Uh, being a London gym, it will stink, <laughs> as we learn later on. Um, when Jenny's talking to him about asking him, "Have you had a spray tan?" You know, oh, you know, did you go to a sunbed? I can't tell if she's ribbing him in a mean way or if she's just trying to generate a bit of friendly banter. Now she knows he's in for the long haul. It read to me like she's being quite cold with him here. Um, I don't. I didn't feel like it's friendly ribbing. It felt like there's a weird kind of accusatory tone behind it. Mm-hmm. I think just because. Maybe she's thinking, oh, now this Pillock's starting to get spray tans because he's got the permanent gig or something. But th- there's yeah. no love lost between these two at this point. And I think we'll investigate it later. But there's sort of quite a lot of tonal shifts with how Jenny is towards Alan throughout the mm. show that's a little bit jarring and a little bit confusing, I feel. But, um, yeah, I had the same note. I think it's, he, she's almost trying to belittle him in this situation, isn't she? Yeah. Let's talk about the all-new this-time credits. <laughs> so... As uh, well as Stab correctly predicted, and I, I slightly incorrectly predicted, Alan is in, John is out. Um, some important things to note. Uh, firstly, I thought it was uh, interesting that at no point in these credits do Jenny and Alan meet <laughs> or have <laughs> share any any credit time together. Um, also, it seemed a bit like. Um, Alan's activities, you see him jumping over a tree, looking into some woodland, drinking from a tiny mug, exiting Denton Abbey in driving gloves, uh, sashaying up to the BBC, flashing his idea at a receptionist. A lot of this is quite active, and I wondered if that was a deliberate counterpoint to uh, the slovenly credits that John was in, where he's basically oh, that was good. Yeah. eating fry-ups and moving very slowly. I do have to interject, though. It's not a tiny mug, and it's an espresso cup. Oh, OK. My mistake. Wait, I'm not he, he's, he's, he's not pretending to be a giant. Which is a tiny mug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my it's, it's, absolute, it serves a purpose. My absolute favourite bit in this little opening credit sequence is the not very impressed security woman <laughs> who's <Yeah>. obviously <laughs> who has already clearly had enough of Alan already. It's great. It's great that in the credits they managed to get across how visibly chuffed he is to be back at the BBC. You know his sort of, <laughs> his little sort of skip towards the entrance as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the thing about the, the fact you never see him and Jenny in the same shots is because clearly what they've done, and I, I like the gag behind this, is they've literally taken John's shots out and put Alan's shots in. So there, there have been no kind of reshoots with him and Jenny. Uh, so I'd imagine Alan's probably forced the BBC's hand because they're caught on the hop with the John accusations. They've had to act quite fast. So literally having to erase John from the show as quickly as possible and just get on with the fact they, they're making a daily show five days a week. So probably no time for good negotiations. Just like, yeah, get Partridge in. He's already here. He knows the show. Oh, what, and he wants Pear Tree Productions to make his segments? Fine, we'll just go along with it. I can imagine that's the kind of negotiation behind the scenes in the APU that's happened. Are we to assume that Sam's closeness to John is what cost him the guest presenter job? Or is it that he's too busy with his uh, history series to step in? War Machine. Mm, bit of both. I feel like he would have been the front runner, so it's got to be either availability or they just think he's too much of a hot potato because he was so close yeah. to John. It, it could also be, I guess, potentially Alan's come out in the APU, this is, Alan's come out of the John situation as a bit of a hero because he was the one that read out all the accusations and kept on pushing with it. So for the BBC to kind of come out smelling of roses a bit, 
it's better to kind of champion him than somebody associated with John, yeah. Uh, Jenny, I think at this point, does a genuinely good job of pretending to be pleased about Alan. You would almost believe yep. that she, uh, she's, she's happy to have him there. Um, Do you remember she is reading off a script, though? <laughs> that's true. Important <laughs> to remember. Also, did anyone, did anyone else notice that when um, they welcome people to the show, they say, good evening? I always assumed it was a daytime show, yet they open with good evening. Well, it's supposed to be like the one show. Which yeah, is, on is that evening? Early, yeah. 7 p.m. Early, early evening. Eh, okay. I, I guess in the APU, this the idea is this is going out mid evening, but obviously it has to go out later because they're swearing and uh, and penises for noses and so <laughs> forth. So, um, do we uh, do we reckon Alan is recording uh, mid morning matters and then hot tailing it to the BBC to record uh, this time? Oh, quite oh, possibly. Had not considered. It's a good question of whether he would jack in mid morning matters now that he can s- sees himself as being back in big in the back time. He'd or, have to. Tr- uh, He'd have to drive Simon from uh, from Norfolk to uh, North Norfolk, sorry, but to uh, to London as well. Very true. Or, or make him catch the bus. <laughs> as long um, as he's dr- as long as he's drinking before he gets there, it's fine. Yes. <laughs> Alan makes a, a brief reference to a team meeting that he'd had ahead of him, or just after him being made permanent host, saying that there were. Uh, it was a great meeting with the team. Of course, you can tell it was tense as hell. Uh, it sounds like the sort of meeting the BBC would call in order to diffuse tensions. I'd actually question, was there a meeting at all? Because he says, you respect me, I respect you, it's as simple as that. My take on this was that there was no meeting, Alan didn't say this to the team, the only way he can get that message across is by delivering it on air, basically. Ah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, very uh, like And it. I think it's worth just skipping back to ah, a couple of nice. uh, lines of script gold just yeah, before yeah. then, when he fluffs his lines of Jenny saying, I'd like to tickle you pink, tickle you pink. And uh, when he says, we've had so many messages... The vast majority being positive. I enjoyed both mm-hmm. those parts greatly. Very nice. Uh, of, so, of course, it's National Teenage Week. <laughs> Is it a real thing? Has anyone <laughs> investigated? I googled it. It's not a thing, no. Okay. Um, I guess it would be week of the teenager, wouldn't it? Teenage Week is a bit made up. Yeah. Did, it, did anyone notice as well? It, the way the script flows here, you have Alan saying plenty in store tonight. Then it cuts to Jenny saying first it's National Teenage Week. If you go back and watch this. It seems to me like th- there was an edit between those lines, just based on how, how it flows between the two of them. It feels a bit disjointed. It just made me think, well, it wouldn't surprise me if there's just lots of this show on the cutting room floor, basically. I wonder if there was a bigger menu that they were going to go through. Yeah, I noticed that. I think, throughout, I, mean? yeah. I, think, I think throughout this episode specifically, there were definitely points where I noticed an edit job that had been done. Mm, yeah. Um, also, we learn from them talking about National Teenage Week that the conceit of the show in the APU is that this time is a daily show and we just catch one a week. Uh, so they said every day we've been focusing on a different aspect and they also said later tomorrow we'll be looking angst. So it, it clearly is supposed to be a daily show, uh, yeah. but we, we just catch one a week. Uh, Alan Keen to stress that he can empathise with teenagers who self-harm um, when he suggests that he used to pluck his own na- nasal hairs uh, in an attempt to um, self-harm. Uh, yep, they make uh, great swords for it- ants, does he say? Yep, that's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jenny also says, we're getting down with Britain's youth. And Alan says, yeah, what's up? Now, <laughs> it gets a laugh today, but I, I'm starting to think that using the, the what's up as like, an indicator of someone who's a bit out of touch is itself a bit out of touch. I mean, that's a very that, good point. The, the Budweiser Frog advert is twenty-four years old, <laughs> and also that was up is used twice in this episode. Yeah, yeah. She, it's a bit he, of a, he, he uses it again when uh, he uh, he messages Denise. Did, did you notice the other way he signifies being down with the kids as well? He does a 
I can't yep. even, hang on, he does a finger snap in the style of Ali G. Um, so, you know, they, those original Budweiser commercials are at their peak, 1999 to 2002. Ali G very much at his peak between 2000 to 2004. So, yeah, Alan is very, uh, very off. <laughs> He's very not with the times. But I think that's a very good point, Adam, that that in itself is a bit behind the times too. Yeah. Mm. Also, I'd say Jenny says getting down and then Alan says what's up. Jenny looks annoyed at him, but hers is arguably as bad, I'd say. Yeah, neither of them has a grip on uh, on what teenagers are actually doing. Um, I feel the need to also raise the fact that uh, Alan asks Jenny for a weekly lasagna, something uh, I hadn't really heard before, wasn't familiar with, but it was all in an attempt to foster some kind of natural on-screen chemistry, perhaps a recognition that things weren't going brilliantly between the two of them. Uh, Adam, I know you're in Bristol, but uh, Tom, Nick, would you be up for a weekly lasagna? I'd be very keen. God, yes. <laughs> and, and Absolutely love lasagna. Are you it as well, Tom? I'll, yeah, I'll cook it. I'll cook it. Yeah, I'm on board with that. That's fine. Okay, great. We could, uh, we could record a podcast whilst eating a lasagna. Great night Gr- in. How could it be yeah. any worse than the one we're recording right now? <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple of points about uh, Alan's lasagna invitation. Um, I thought he obviously has chance to chat to her before the show. I wonder if him doing this while there's a very quick VT in the background is him basically trying to pressure her into agreeing to it because if he just had a relaxed chat before or after the show, she wouldn't do it. Also, because of a later segment, we I imagine that lasagna would have to happen on Mondays as we know that's when he eats the majority of his mints. <laughs> Great spot. Um... Well, the thing is, he may have the opportunity to talk to Jenny before the show, but it wouldn't surprise me if Jenny is not interested in talking to him. Oh, I see. This is the first yeah. time she basically can't avoid his question. Yeah, and t- until like 6.59pm when they, ha- they have to be in the studio. Uh, did anybody clock the incredible Noel Edmonds anecdote that Alan gives at this point? I mean, it, it, it's, it's good. It's a bit weird, though, isn't it? Like, why would they let cats in the studio? Well, I mean, he's clearly, talk- <laughs> but he's clearly talking bullshit. I don't think it really bears any... Yeah, it doesn't really bear any scrutiny. It's just a nice dig yeah. at Edmunds, really, isn't it? it that, that's all it is. Um, just quickly, skipping back, did you also take note um, when he, Alan also says, could be fish and chips on the cenotaph with a couple of cans, because obviously he thinks that's what teenagers would do? I think that's what the angle is supposed to be. Oh, I see. He's trying to tie it back to the segment they're doing. Mm. He's trying okay. to be cool, yeah. Um, she also when she sort of agrees to do this she says okay lovely I think it's a great idea no I think it's good and it's like you don't need to say no I think it's good nobody was disagreeing (laughs) (laughs) so you can tell that she really doesn't want to do this Uh, I can also confirm as a former veteran of uh, Noel Edmonds game shows there were no cats on set when I was a contestant uh, on on one of his shows yeah they weren't allowed in they weren't (laughs) they they, they probably would hiss yeah and uh, Jenny is uh, surprisingly up for it as as Adam says although um, she does say she thinks it's a good idea in order to iron out any concerns and quibbles. Um, mm. And obviously this is just about before, uh, just before they're about to go back live. Alan demands that Jenny tell him what the quibbles are. And obviously <laughs> she finally gives in and just goes, it's your diction. And then I love the way she does that. She delivers yeah. it like through her teeth. Yeah. It's another high pressured um, attack on Jenny, like the lasagna whilst they're in the middle of a VT. He really uses that countdown to put the pressure on her to get an answer out of her. Um, I will say this was the first, I think this this shot where they sat together was when I really noticed the fake tan, the fact that it doesn't even meet his hairline. I, oh, I didn't I notice that in earlier shots, but at this point, there's a particular, there's a corner on his head when you can see there are two different skin tones. Brilliant. Amazing. Um, so I think we're into a segment about youth unemployment with our guest Dale Daniels, who is an unemployed campaigner, uh, particularly talking about a Scottish 
men, young men. Um, yeah, Alan's <laughs> Alan opens up by saying, "You're furious, even for a Scot," <laughs> and goes on goes on to say that he knows anecdotally from some friends with large gardens that Scottish men can make great workers. Uh, Scottish I thought, people. I, I Scottish don't think people. I don't think this is male specific. <laughs> I see, um, but it is it is also not the first time he's used the size or condition of someone's garden as an indicator of status. If you remember, uh, he uh, slid mm. into what was it? Slid into a bit of the weighted base of a parasol, but unfortunately. It it was filled with water, um, which was a sign that it wasn't um, as premium as it could have been. And again, Alan used that as, as you say, a barometer of someone's wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of fun here with Alan having to basically forget everything he thinks he knows about intonation off the back of being told <laughs> he's got problems with his diction. Suddenly he's sort of messing his lines up left, right and centre. Um, I did think during this section... Jenny really could have stepped in and, and saved the segment a little bit because uh, she, she kind, kind of does, does doesn't yeah. she? Yeah. I'd argue because it felt to me like she's she's watched Alan flounder and she's figured out how to get the best out of this interview yeah. by responding in his no- guttural noises. She's watched and learned, so the moment she starts throwing in her own ears, eh? it's like she's speaking his language. And then oh. to be fair, then Alan also figures that out. So <laughs> he does follow her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh. Uh, also thought it was eh? interesting that <laughs> Dale is Dale is miles away from the two of them. Like yes. he's not even yes. he's he's right in the middle of the massive sofa that itself is about five feet away from their sofa. <laughs> it I, makes I him look tiny. Could... It's really funny. <laughs> I'd figured you could fit comfortably fit four people on each sofa on that set. Which which is massive. If you uh, compare that to the real life one show, you're squeezing two people onto each one. It looks a bit too close. Does anyone recognise Dale, the actor? No. Uh, I didn't, no. He is in the Scottish comedy Two Doors Down, which I highly recommend. It's very funny. And on iPlayer. Lovely. You just Um, had to say that. (laughs) I just just had to say Uh, that. Alan, uh, there's a nice bit where Alan's sort of talking to Dale about how many kids he's got, but just through the medium of grunts and hand gestures as well. They've reached some common ground. Yeah. Uh, and then he summarises the interview by saying uh, that it's amazing because weirdly, what you're saying actually makes sense. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, shortly before letting uh, the Scottishness of the whole affair get the better of him and saying, uh, so over to you, Jimmy. Jenny. <laughs> yeah. Now, does it, did everybody get what that reference is to? No. So see you, Jimmy, Jimmy. As in, see you, Jimmy. See you, Jimmy. The, uh, the oh, famous yeah, yeah, yeah. Russ yeah, Abbott, uh, Scottish character <laughs> with uh, the, the lovely ginger hair. Lovely. I actually, um, add, uh, I did. Sorry, it's probably worth sharing uh, because it is part. It is relevant <laughs> to Partridge. Uh, doing some research on the see you, Jimmy character. Uh, in 2003, he came third in the Glasgow Herald's poll to find the most Scottish person in the world. He came, uh, <laughs> a poll? He came third in the poll behind Ian and Jimmy Cranky. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> so those are the three most Scottish people in the world. <laughs> the, pro- the proclaimers are fuming. <laughs> Quite rightly so. Rapsy, who? <laughs> So the next section is largely about exercise. Jenny uh, has a piece of VT that we don't see. Um, It seems that they're not really showing these VTs in the background now. I guess they had to in the first episode to make the kind of the conceit of the show obvious. But now we get it. We we know we need to focus on the action that's going on in the studio. Um, So she backtracks a little bit on uh, talking about Alan's diction, saying she hopes she didn't offend him. Um, But she is talking to him like she knows best. And I thought, a question to the group, is she being patronising here or is it fair enough because Alan is awful? 
it's it's all a bit jarring and i wonder if it's part of a wider plot point and wider plot development which is going to pay off later so like i said at the beginning of the episode she starts off quite confrontational and uh now she's kind of uh almost flirting with alan so yeah. I just wonder if it's, it's it tonally it's jumping around quite a lot in, in her attitude toward, towards Alan. And yeah, I was just thinking, I wonder if it's a what part of a wider plot point. Well, I was just going to agree that I, it read to me as quite flirtatious. I think in, if simply using the word intimate kind of plants a seed with this bit as well. And she's touching his chest. She's getting very close to him. But I would agree with Stab. I'd, I'd wager there's no affection from her towards him. But it, there's some kind of game plan about getting him on side. Towards the end of this segment, she says to him, you'll get there, none of us are perfect. I thought poor Alan actually looks quite crestfallen there. Yeah, he's I mean... Been, she's... He's been told how to be a better broadcaster. Yeah, but he does absolutely grammatically do her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, ah, which well. he's... Uh, D- does he, though? Yeah, well, I was going to say, well, I've I've got a, I've done a little bit of digging around. Is the point that he made correct? Because... I wasn't sure. I was kind of immediately when that line went out, I was impressed. But then I thought, hang on, is that correct? So the notes that I had is that there's a common misconception that none is always singular because it is short for no one. However, it is just as likely to mean not any, i.e. implying a plural. So one can either take a singular or plural verb. So the misconception is that no one is always singular because it's short for no one. However, it's just as likely to mean not any, implying a plural, which... Uh, so when none is followed by a mass noun, i.e. a noun that cannot be continued or made plural, it should be taken as a singular verb. Basically, <laughs> we don't know. So if there's any linguist experts out there or language experts, please let us know. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I definitely think you're right that, that she is kind of, she's using her his attraction to her as a bit of a, a weapon, a tool, if you like. Because as well as saying intimate, she's also saying, look at my lips while she's saying it. Yeah. Um, and I wondered, mm. we have seen her tolerate uh, lengthy, uh, lengthy knee grabs and sort of bawdy, chauvinistic behaviour from other hosts, be it Sam or be it John. So I wonder if she kind of tolerates some of that in order to try and get ahead in basically a male-dominated industry here. Yeah. I also think, to be fair, we know that from a writer's perspective, they've always said that Jenny isn't going to have, like, funny lines. She's not there to be humorous in terms of um, what she's saying. So they're using other techniques that aren't necessarily out-and-out funny, but, as you say, are slightly confusing in terms of what's her agenda, what's her relationship, the way that she speaks to him, the way that she engages with him physically. Um, So they're kind of using other tools outside of just out-and-out one-liners. Yeah. Um, and a question to the group do you think we're going to get a sort of Susan in I'm Alan Partridge style meltdown from her on camera or is she too pro I think save it for predictor Partridge okay. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough um, you know there's a bit where they're talking about we don't want people writing letters do you guys think TV well, TV shows get many letters these days I bet the one show does it's, it's absolute yeah. Billy Basics house mums isn't it well, the good news is I've spoken to a friend at the one show and the answer is yes, they get over 50 letters a week. I was wow. surprised if it was that many a week. That is, that constitutes an actual mailbag. I was just going to say, uh, it re- reminded me of the time when, uh, do you remember when points of view was a thing where people would write into the BBC mm. and then someone would literally just sit there and read out letters I um, loved points from, of view. From people. Dear BBC. <laughs> yeah, but it was absolutely brilliant. Oh, why, oh, why, oh, Was why? it Terry Wogan? Or yeah. I made that up. Uh, at Terry one point, Wogan, yeah. And, and Terry Wogan's massive wow. package. It's like the yep. Sugar Babes, isn't it? At one point, everyone had a go. <laughs> uh, fans, of, 
fans of points of view. I just remember the first time I did uh, the uh, Smegheads podcast with our producer Jed, we ended up talking about Terry Wogan's massive package. So, great callback. <laughs> oh, lovely. And uh, fans of points of view can uh, tune in towards the end of this episode where we'll be going through your feedback in a very similar style. <laughs> um, Alan says that he enjoys lots of meat, uh, and we find that Jenny is a pescatarian. Um, we also find out that Alan once watched a beheaded chicken in a car park. Um, which I thought was nice. Um, it stays next, with you, stuff like that. This next segment, in summary, is Alan giving up meat for a week. I put that in inverted commas for the purposes of a key segment of a BBC One primetime show of which he manages five days. I mean, <laughs> if, if, you, if this was a segment you were doing, you would stay the course, wouldn't you? Well, Alan yeah. wouldn't. I think that's fair. Although I will say that throughout this entire segment, apart from the very end when you see Alan eat an apple, you never actually see him eating any vegetarian food. Great point. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so did he stay the course? We do not know. He might not even have done five days. Um, so you know this how this segment kind of opens at uh, Denton Abbey. Is that what he's calling it now? Not Denton, yeah, yes. Denton Abbey, not Denton House. Yeah. Um, and obviously we go into his kitchen. But just before then, uh, you have these kind of bits of naff stock footage about people feeling good and stuff like that. And then there is when he refers to Morrissey. Now, do you guys... Obviously, it's not Morrissey that's pictured. Did you guys know who that is? Yes, I know. Yeah. It's Gary Rhodes. Lovely Gary Rhodes. Correct. But not to be confused with Nigel Kennedy, who is essentially his spitting image. (laughs) He is. I did did have to look it up. I had to do a Google check to make sure I'd got the right one. Yeah, same, Um, same. Also, this that bit of stock footage is soundtracked by uh, by a song called "The Sandwich," which we discover later was written by Alan in 1979 uh, and performed by an outfit called These Anglian Men, which I presume is a play on These Animal Men, uh, which is uh, a band that was around in the sort of mid 90s. Although ah. that is a bit strange because These Anglian Men would have predated These Animal Men by some years, so uh, that could be a genuine uh, continuity error. So then we have, now I've taken a timestamp at this point because I want to open this out to fans of the podcast because I don't think we're going to have the answer here. Uh, at seven minutes and two seconds on the iPlayer version, that is, we see a, uh, there's a shot of Alan's, the exterior of Denton Abbey. And if you look in the top left-hand window, there is a, there is a, a, some sort of figure or some sort of head in the window. And it's really yep. hard to work out what it is. Is it a woman? Is it a boy? Is it a mannequin? I want to challenge the listeners to see if anyone has any theories and or actually if you can get a high enough quality sh- shot can we actually see what it is I mean Tom your your thinking was it might be the ghost of Michael Jackson right <laughs> Uh, I mean, yes, that was sent in a private WhatsApp message. and uh, <laughs> uh, But also, it does look a little bit like Michael Jackson. Anyway. Well, it looks a bit like uh, Onyong from uh, Arrested Development. I it does, yeah. Onyong. I wondered if it might be um, if it might be some sort of mannequin, but with one of the Alan masks that we've seen before. Uh, I imagine he would keep a stockpile of those masks that he had made for the well, dancers in Know Me, Knowing You. And if you don't get it at 7.02, you can see it again a timestamp on the iPad, uh, iPlayer version at 12 minutes 37. So see if you can get, see if anyone can get a high enough res shot of that so we can try and work out what it is. 
What about the theory that it could be some kind of uh, almost home scarecrow <laughs> designed to scare away thieves who might be looking to break into his house? That seems well, well, he, entirely plausible. Yeah, definitely. He does have a history of being <laughs> robbed, doesn't he? So that could work. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there's also a great understatement in the stock footage where he claims that Morrissey is one of the people, and I quote, telling us we need to eat less meat. Now, anyone that's <laughs> even remotely familiar with Morrissey will know that his politics uh, around meat go a little further than telling you to just cut down a bit. Um, but Alan's ignoring that advice and he eats eight kilos of meat a week, the equivalent of a very fat baby or two malnourished ones. Uh, the NHS advice on that uh, meat consumption is to have less than 500 grams of red or processed meat. Whilst Alan's meat isn't all red or processed, there is 16 times as much meat on his table <laughs> as, the, as the NHS recommends you have. Wait, is that per week or per day? Uh, that's per week. 500 grams of red or processed meat per week is the NHS guideline. Well, that's not very much at all, is it? Not very much, is it? No. I mean, no. I looked at that. I looked at that table, or the groaning table of animal pieces, as Alan <laughs> calls it, and I thought that looks like maybe a month's worth, perhaps. But you yeah. know, that that's still what two kilograms a week, which is too much. Uh, can I talk you through the list of what I think is on that table? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Based on guesstimates of screen grabs, uh, we've got two kilos of mints, four steaks. 12 chicken thighs, a uh, two kilogram bag of chops, minimum size, it's possibly bigger, a bowl of at least 16 sausages, possibly more, and is it two legs of pork? Yes, there are some meats on that table he doesn't even get to in his yeah. like, roundup of what's there. Yeah. Uh, can, w- would anyone else agree that from this day forward they will start to refer to sausages as a rope of sausages and whenever they buy mints refer to them as maxi packs <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and I will also consider fashioning a meat lolly for the car yes <laughs> <laughs> um, a, little bit, a little bit of kitchen watch here we had a few people on Twitter mention this as well you'll notice that there's a mug that says I'm the boss which is presumably yep. self-bought or bought as a gift from Lynn um, there's <laughs> also an amateur looking sports trophy which I presume relates to his squash uh, it and looks again, like a squash trophy, yeah. Again, <laughs> looks very cheap and potentially self-bought. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a DAB radio next to that trophy as well, I think. Uh, okay. A, a toasted sandwich maker in the background behind him. And also, it's good to see that in, in the end, he didn't get rid of that little sink. Oh, yeah, the deal breaker yeah, sink. Yeah, get rid of it. Didn't <laughs> get rid rinser. of it. He didn't yep. want it in his five-bedroom bastard house, but he's got it back for Denton Abbey. Okay, yep. uh, Adam, um, uh, Adam, when you do make the meat lollies, to, do, please do make sure that the uh, the sticks are barbed because uh, if they're not, uh, <laughs> much like bees, uh, who when they sting you, pull their own asses off. <laughs> I'll bear that in mind. Um, I like the I like the, the, the transition where he swaps the meat for veg and then does a sort of inexplicable. Oh my god! Look at this veg- <laughs> yeah. these vegetables. Um, you hear a cow oh, moo as well. Yeah, when that but you, you, only, you only hear the cow moo once the meat's disappeared, which doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. Uh, and then I think he's in the car because he is, and I quote, uh, kicking the weef ock with a medical. Yeah, what's that about? <laughs> yeah. Just him not being able to say words. <laughs> and, and I, I, Very I, poor diction. I think it's that there are two gags with that. I feel like every week he'll at least mispronounce something in a major way, but also that's highlighting the poor production values that happen when it's an Allen-based VT. I feel like the conceit that we're now led into is any VT that Allen is leading is probably made by Pear Tree, or at least overseen by Allen, which yeah. is, in, in the real world, some a show like The One Show, they would 
commission an independent company to make a series of VT pieces. So in the APU, it is feasible that Pear Tree have been commissioned to make all of Alan's VTs. So shoddy production values is key. And a lot uh, of these minor slips would make it to air because they're making one of these shows every day and it's obviously exactly. not getting quality checked like it should be. Yeah. Uh, my next note is simply, yes, the massive yellow jacket is back. Yep. <laughs> big fan of the big yellow jacket. So lovely. Um, did anyone also recognise the doctor, David Armitage? Uh, I recognised him, did, but I but forgot but to look it up. Yeah, Perhaps same. best known to us as uh, Sophie's dad in Peep Show. Ah, nice. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about anyone else, but I noticed possibly the first continuity error in the show. Now, that doesn't mean there haven't been others, but it's the first one that I noticed. Uh, in the car, Alan is wearing a blue shirt, and when it cuts to the doctor's scene, he's rolling down his sleeve on a yellow shirt. Interesting. So I don't know where that sort of edit would have come in, but yeah. Uh, okay, so I would guess that what they've done is they've reused footage... So there's a scene, uh, so he goes from Denton Abbey to the Doctors to a lunch meeting. So they've probably just reused the driving footage of him going to the lunch meeting where he is wearing a different colour shirt. Yes, I think he is wearing a blue yeah. shirt when he comes out of the, the restaurant. he got a pink tie. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that'll be a recurring thing that any VTs throughout the series where you see him driving, he'll always be wearing the same shirt because they shot all the driving <laughs> in one go. <laughs> that um, would tie that- in with the pear tree production values, wouldn't it? That Parker looks so big, it could legitimately hamper his driving as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say that the uh, the doctor exchange about uh, putting different kinds of petrol into cars or whatever um, is really weak. Yeah, get rid of it. Yeah. yeah. The only good bit is the bit where he takes his trousers down and the doctor says, uh, <laughs> the doctor says, oh no, I haven't got a note on that. Uh, he just says you don't need to put it down or something <laughs> like that. But yeah, that was funny. Yeah, yeah that's it. Uh, but the rest of it was a, great... a bit weak. There is a great bit of character detail, the fact he's wearing Pingle Pratton socks as well, which is very in keeping with the Alan character. That's nice. And also, he obviously overshares about David the Doctor's private life. He was a GP, then started a business venture with his wife. She left him back to being a GP. Again, it was it was nice detail, but it wasn't kind of hilarious. Yeah. And I, I did like the bit of script um, in the voiceover when he's talking about going to see the Doctor after a change in circumstance. So having sex after a hiatus or feeling down in the dumps and not sure why. Uh, we're on to Alan's business lunch, uh, where he's struggling to make deals happen despite being on a vegetarian diet. Um, he meets two people. Do you remember how they've made their living? Uh, the first one made his money from online activity. Now, is this <laughs> is this Alan skirting around this being nefarious activity, uh, or does he just think online activity is its own sector? I think the former. Yeah, I think it's ineptitude on his part, isn't it? He just doesn't know how to articulate the fact that someone's an internet entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my reading was that he was meeting a porn baron. Yeah, see, I thought it could have been either of those. Yeah. Uh, Eva's good. Eva's good. Choose, choose your own adventure. Um, and then the other one, funnily enough, uh, owns most of the tanning salons in Norfolk. Uh, Daryl Flench. Daryl Flench. Uh, so uh, that explains Alan's, Alan's sudden tan as well. Uh, potentially for free, potentially for featuring the owner on his programme. Uh, I'd imagine fact, so, yeah. In fact, we, we obviously go on to seeing uh, a lot of shots forced into the VT of Alan fashioning a garden dungaree. Uh, this has a strong whiff of product placement about it. Um, and also we know that next week's episode features a segment on product placement. So I wondered if Alan's going to get told off next week for mistakes that he's made this week. Well, I wonder if that's just the wording of the synopsis. Is it a segment on product placement or will product placement happen as part of the plot? It mm. might just be the synopsis is worded badly. 
I'm not sure, but I did. But I did think, why is he suddenly showing loads of photos of himself wearing a garden dungaree? It must be related. Because it, well, <laughs> that that is him. Just yeah, it's fashion forward. It's a fashion forward gardening dungaree. What's not to like? It's the dirty boy. <laughs> is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I've, oh, I've got a little bit of Alan Car Watch. We do like to keep an eye on what Alan's driving. Um, he's in a Vauxhall registration VN seventeen double XO. Uh, I put I had to make some assumptions about mileage, but I put that into We Buy Any Car, and he's now driving a motor worth an estimated three thousand one hundred and fifteen. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Pounds. More news is <laughs> BBC money is yet to come through. <laughs> What's the most amount of onion rings that you guys have ever eaten? <laughs> I, I think I've topped Alan's 20 before. No. Probably. That is obscene. Uh, but, but it wasn't It wasn't to save the embarrassment of ordering hummus in front of two grown men. It was just because I love onion rings. And did you top it off with a pint of meat-free lilt? I didn't, but did you see the note that somebody tweeted in, uh, and also I did a bit of backup research, that lilt is actually not meat-free. What? <laughs> it can, is that the joke? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. I think it may well have been. But it, yeah, it contains uh, some kind of fish gelatin, I think. So technically, it's on a list of things online. Uh. I mean, this is I've read this online. This is alleged. But uh, it, it's, it, it's on a list of things online that you would think were meat-free but actually aren't. Wow. Like uh, prawn cocktail crisps, suitable for vegetarians, cheese and onion crisps, not suitable for, for vegetarians. He's blowing the lid right off. And then we have two sections back to back, which I think are actually really poor. The whole gym section and the prostitute dream section, I think, are really re- weak. And I, like, I kind of put the question to you guys. Honestly, can you say that these bits are funny? Because I don't think there's anything funny in them at all. Uh, I thought they started funny, to be fair, when he was talking about how he was worried about losing his strength because he was becoming a vegetarian for, like, a couple of days, and the fact that London gyms stink. <laughs> I'll always enjoy hearing Alan kicking the boot into yeah, London. Uh, I do think this is, this is uh, and it's happened a few times, and we'll come on to talk about it later, where there's a skit that 
takes the best part of like 45 seconds or a minute to play out and it's like the first line isn't that funny and then it's played out for near a minute and it doesn't get any funnier uh, similar to in uh, scissor dial the old lady on the conveyor belt which i know adam and i fiercely disagree on but for me it's just like yeah i didn't find it funny the first time and it's going on for another minute yeah, that's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah nick i think i think i'd uh, broadly agree um because I think with the gym bit, they could have made that so much shorter. Because really, the joke is he's struggling to bench press 10 kilograms. They then don't need to have a minute-long exchange about imperial measurements and all that stuff. They've kind of made the joke already. But there is value to this section, I think, purely for Alan's outfit. It's out of the 80s, the socks are too long, the shorts are too short, and uh, most importantly, slightly tucked in around the nether regions. That is classic partridge. I've got to give it that. Yeah, classic partridge or a joke that's been done before. Yeah, classic partridge. <laughs> well, this is something that comes up a few times, isn't it? I mean, there's some segments later in yeah. this episode that some people have accused of, of retreading old ground. I think I think with the segments we'll come to, that's not so true. I think here, yeah, I, I, I'd agree this isn't, this isn't among the strongest. Um, what I did like was that he obviously is still going to the gym in, uh, in the Norwich area. Presumably by now, mm. Carol's fitness instructor lover is too old to still be in the game. So there's minimal <laughs> chance of Alan ever, ever meeting him. Um, and there's some nice details tells like Gino was a former male model ruined by eczema what he lacks in aptitude he makes up for in having a nice muscly body um he finds another excuse to flash a picture of him in the dirt boy gardening dungaree um yeah. but yeah it was it's it was strange and also unusually candid I don't think he would put in a segment where he admits to having a dream about prostitution uh, but I think he would if that gives him enough scope to kick vegetarianism he's happy to expose having a weird usual prostitute dream just to force the point home that he thinks vegetarianism is rubbish. Uh, because the prostitute in his dream is made of ham. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and um, she's called Bianca. Yes. A little bit of bedroom watch. Uh, I noticed both sides of the bed have two lamps, a regular and an angle poise. Uh, he's sleeping alone. <laughs> I presume he's living alone. Also, there's a lot of dark wood. There's angle poise lamps. His room really has the feel of a travel tavern. Uh, it feels like he's, he's recreated the comfort of the Linton travel tavern in his own home. Well, it, it, it was either that or recreating the uh, static home like we saw happened at the end of I'm Alan Partridge series two. Oh, yeah. Very he, likes a, he likes a confined space. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming the prostitute's name is Bianca, unless if Alan has a girlfriend called Bianca that we haven't seen yet. Mm. Maybe <laughs> okay. she, she's could, the one in the window. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> but there's been um, no mention of Angela. That's what I'm saying. I think we're led to believe that Angela is no longer on the scene. I think that's over. No matter, how, no, matter how, no matter how many times he says please, though, I don't think yeah. she's coming back. Um, so we see him at a production meeting featuring Rob Gibbons in a cameo uh, role there. Um, yeah. There's a reference to him popping with ideas, which is a callback to Mid Morning Matters. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, so they, they call him Mr. Barocca. Cra- uh, it's Craig at North North at Digital, who's always fizzing with ideas. That's the one, yep. yep. Uh, yep. And, and he says, you know, I've come in with, with ideas on pop, 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 etc. Um, <laughs> He's basically Mr. Barocca, his, his words. <laughs> then, then, uh, then there's a reconstruction. Did anyone get a glimpse of the gold that is on the whiteboard for this? Yes. Go yes. on, talk us through it. Did you... <laughs> Well, I mean, I haven't written oh, it down. I just thought oh, okay. it was so, <laughs> I've got it written down, if you want. Yeah, here, me too. It's, it's content, fresh, dynamic. Then he drops a bombshell, people and places. Wow. Uh, soapbox, two question marks, drive value. And then my favourite, docuity, actuality, dramality. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, back in the real world, out of his reconstruction, he says, today I was more like flat pop, lifeless, listless, lost. This had to end. <laughs> so uh, yeah, basically, he's, uh, he's going back on the meat wagon. Well, I like that he said that after five days, I've proved people wrong, and you basically see him throwing a load of veg in the bin. <laughs> question, qu- question, how did he prove that? I'm still not sure. <laughs> he hasn't. He absolutely Nick, hasn't. Nick, he couldn't even lift 10 kilograms. He was weak. He needed that big sustenance. <laughs> and I do like the line that he delivers as he's putting the veg into the bin. I'm Alan Partridge, and I eat meat. Um, we really should talk about Denise we really should yeah the Uh, the happy accident to this story yes so uh, he used to spend what was it half an hour extra a day on the toilet when he was eating meat can I can I I read the exact quote please because I've got it written down please do I think this is what I've got written down as well it has to do with going to the toilet I never realised it could be so utterly painless and swift. What once was a gentle <laughs> migration is now a rapid exodus. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, and so, that saved time has left him free to reconnect with his daughter Denise. Now, question to the group: Did you think you were going to get to see her finally? I, no, I no. certainly. I, I didn't. I, 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 I did. I, I thought. I thought we were going to get to see her. Um, I, yeah, I was with you, Adam. I, I hoped you'd get a glimpse um, of, of her. Um, I think possibly they reconnected more easily because we know from his own description of her that she's somewhat alternative. I believe we might know that she's a vegetarian, so I guess there was a bit of common ground there for a couple of days. Um, but yeah, he's back on the meat wagon. Um, and uh, yeah, it ends with his uh, song by These Anglian Men. Uh, you, and, you, you and I share a common language when you and I ate a sausage sandwich. <laughs> I do like the bit uh, just beforehand where he says he'll never slag off vegetarianism or vegetarians ever again. I can't remember which. And he says, mmm, vegetables as he bites into an apple. Yeah, lovely piece <laughs> of fruit there to sign it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the studio, Jenny says, you've had quite a gruelling week there, Alan. And he says, it did gruel me, Jenny, yes. Yeah, <laughs> love that. Uh, and obviously we now know that now he's back on the meat. Uh, he, he's blocked up again toilet-wise and has no further time to spend with Denise. <laughs> yeah. Like like cheap meat, life can be tough. <laughs> but like good meat, it can be tender and succulent. J- just a bit of blood. <laughs> uh, oh, and now it's uh, speaking of, uh, speaking of uh, general deficiencies, vitamin deficient but humour proficient. <laughs> Who else but Mr. Simon Denton? Uh so much wrong with this. Firstly, who else? This is the audience's third time ever seeing Simon. I don't think we're at who else stage yet. Well, although, couldn't it be like their 15th time or whatever if we're only seeing one show? Uh, yeah, good that's point. true. Very true. Very true. Uh, can I just give you some quick numbers around this Simon intro? It takes Alan 13 steps to get to him. And there are four seconds of airtime between Alan saying his name and Simon being in vision. <laughs> Again, these things are an eternity in actual television programme times. Uh, not helped by the fact that Simon seems to be back to the level of nerves we saw in week one. Uh, gulping, panic-stricken. I presume mm. it's because after... Last week, it seemed like the media wall had largely just been set up for him, so he didn't have to do anything uh, after the disaster that was week one. But now he's back on the media wall and he's back in charge of it, and I think that has absolutely put the shitters up him. Um, <laughs> well, I think it's fair to suggest that Alan's had to probably negotiate with producers to give him a second chance. There's there's moments throughout this where he kind of touches his earpiece and gives like messages to the uh, producers, and I think that he's probably had to negotiate this. But um, Simon uh, suggests that he's been on the hunt for wacky funny stories and guys 
<laughs> Dozens of people have written in. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Simon grapples this second chance with both hands by looking at the wrong camera, looking at the right camera, turning away from the right camera, and then deciding to address the entire segment directly to Alan. <laughs> so good. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about the fact he Simon just does this as a conversation between him and Alan. He doesn't address the viewer or the cameras at all until yeah. the end when oh. it's all gone to shit. Yeah. If he if he does, it's for a split second. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, he also says that he's been ha- uh, Simon. This is has been having a chuckle with Lucy and some of the guys in the office. Looks a bit like Alan's quite rankled that Simon's getting on with the crew. Perhaps as mm. Alan becomes more isolated. This is a this is a, a bit of a throwback to the first series of I'm Alan Partridge when uh, Lynn is having fun with the other members of staff in the travel tavern and Alan gets annoyed by it. He doesn't like to be excluded from fun, does he? Watch it. Mm. <laughs> um, oh, and uh, there's, there's a point where they're talking about um, there's an article in a local paper that they want to sh- they want to get up on screen. Uh, between them they say this is good this is fantastic this is very funny and it was at that point that I knew that we would never see it (laughs) (laughs) actually and you know they say people have sent in messages in their dozens the fact that the first and only message they cover is from Alan does that mean they've actually (laughs) only had one message as well not even dozens and even that message, surprise, surprise, turns out that they've not saved it. No files found <laughs> once again. No. But, don't, but don't worry, it's on Simon's phone. And I, would, I, would, and I think we'll discuss this a bit in, in feedback at the end of the episode. I would agree the no, the no files found was a bit of a letdown because you've already had that punchline. But I couldn't help laughing every time when he comes back to it about the fourth time and just looks at Alan and goes... I really want to find that picture. And there's this kind of like boyish grin on his face. Like, I'm going to get it this time. And you're really willing. Come on, Simon, you can do it. And then, he gets do vi- it. and then he gets visibly angry at the screen and points at it sort of in rage. <laughs> um, I would agree. But yes, this is a repeat. And a few people have pointed that out on Twitter. But what I would say is that this is still really funny. Yep. I definitely would agree that I think it's really, really good. Although I'd be curious to see what you think. This this feels like a version of Simon that is markedly different from that of Mid Morning Matters. Like he is now completely incompetent, um, and even Alan looks like the more proficient broadcaster side by side, which wasn't necessarily what I was expecting because they're kind of on level pegging on Mid Morning Matters. Uh, if not Simon ultimately outsmarting Alan from time to time so it does feel like a different take on Simon than what we've been previously used to I definitely agree I, th- I think they they explained it away by basically he's untested on TV I think he just can't handle the pressures of live TV and I guess also from like a writer's point of view they have they have Jenny as the person that occasionally bests Alan now so I guess having Simon be proficient and Jenny be proficient they'd kind of be performing the same role um mm. And like you say, this, this sequence got some stick for repetition, but I actually think, much like a lot of sketch shows, if you think of things like The Fast Show, routines like this, and when we see Ruth again later on, they're funny before anyone said a word, because you know, what's, you, know, you know how the scene is likely to unfold from having seen it before. Yeah, they're kind of hallmarks of what's to come, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I- yeah, and I think it's absolutely fine. It's fine to repeat the gags. I, I don't have an issue with the fact that it is it is the same joke. That's absolutely fine. And there's so many nods and winks to jokes that have been done before. And there is repetition in the humour, which I don't have a problem with. I just think it's it's just funny to see this alternative take on uh, Simon. But I think the way that you explained it is it makes total sense. Did everyone else uh, see what was coming when uh, Alan's iPad was sinking to the screen? Yes. <laughs> Although I thought we'd get something ruder, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I did as well. What we got was just a bit weird. 
Uh, shall I run? Shall I run you through oh. the, the Rolodex of photos? Please do. do it. Uh, we, we start yeah. with Noel Edmonds. Um, we then, uh, I mean, oh well. My before ho- then, you've got the yellow Ferrari. Oh sure, yes. Sorry, you've, you've got, got the shot, the many, the many shots of him with a yellow Ferrari. Thought uh, it was quite the- Saxon Dale esque that car yeah that's exactly yeah. what I thought it looked exactly like the Saxondale car and you, you also get a moment where Alan just says god that's a good picture <laughs> uh, then you're on to Noel Edmonds then my heart skipped a beat as we saw Michael the Geordie uh, followed by what appears to be I mean I think this is referenced in Nomad uh, I think someone might have intel on this but what looks like a photo fit of Michael <laughs> no no so I can, t- I can tell you exactly what this is this is a it's a pencil drawing of Michael drawn by Alan which features in the Nomad book uh, and I'll just read you a short section what it says in the book here uh, it said it's Alan writes I never took a photograph of Michael because he found flashes frightening and I don't know how to turn the flash off on my cell phone but a therapist <laughs> suggested I might like to draw him and she was right I did oh I see so that, that that's Alan's drawing that so blows my theory out of the water because I'd thought what this was was these are photos taken back when Michael disappeared and Alan had basically drawn a photo oh, that they'd used to try and find him either to find him because he'd gone missing or to find him because he'd been driving the Radio Norwich van with no tax and insurance and that he's wanted <laughs> for criminal charges. But uh, sadly, that's not the case. So is Alan seeing a therapist in Nomad? I haven't read it yet. I haven't got round to it. Let's save that for when we do Nomad. Oh, yeah, fair if enough. We do Nomad. Right. Did anyone else, when the picture of Michael flash up on the screen, I literally sat next to my wife, tapped her on the shoulder and went, Michael! (laughs) (laughs) I was that excited. A bit bit of an air punch from me. In the same way that when I saw Alan in the new credit sequence, I just went, yes! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, same. Does that mean that is the lip service to Michael that has effectively been hinted at by the Gibbons of him being in this series or him not being D-E-A-D? The impression no. I got was that he's not in this series, but they right. have plans. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like it might be emerging through people that got in touch with us and, uh, and just what we've seen, that possibly Ted from Sunderland, who, uh, who was in last week's episode and is in again in this one, might be Michael's brother. Uh, and that could be the route to Michael's reintroduction to Partridge, but uh, we'll obviously have to wait and see. Um, the Michael photo fit is followed by, I think, three pregnant nudes and then an orangutan in a similar pose <laughs> and then back to Noel Edmonds again. Yeah. I mean, have we, have we got any intel as to where the, where the nudes and the orangutan are, have come from or is, the, is that the joke? That I, think, I think that is a joke and I think the implication is maybe it's some weird sexual pervasion of Alan's or something that we, that we don't know about from anything we've seen before. But yeah, I think it's a bit weird and unexpected and therefore it's funny. Uh, and then a lovely payoff as Simon finally gets the picture up on his phone and it disappears because he's run out of battery. Um, it's basically no files found again. I love the fact he gets a major bollocking from Alan because his battery has died. Surely the focus shouldn't be on the fact the battery has died on his phone. It should be on his inability to work the digiwall. That's the real issue. He's failing to do what he's actually supposed to do on the telly show. The fact yeah. the battery on his phone isn't charged shouldn't be the main issue at all. Uh, and also, people in glass houses, if we cast our minds back to Tony Hare's funeral, uh, shouldn't be getting upset <laughs> at other people for not having a battery for an Ericsson, or in this Very case, a Samsung. Very good. Um, so uh, he, then oh. says in, he says at the end of the segment, well, that was all right. That was good. He's absolutely co- trying to convince himself. You can imagine the shouting in the gallery he's getting in his earpiece, like, what the fuck was that? That was a disaster. And Alan oh, just yeah, puts a finger to the ear and goes, Alan yeah, just puts a finger to the ear. I know. Uh, and then Simon goes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> also, I did love when Simon's trying to deliver the punchline for this news piece. He says, what are you looking at? 
So he actually misses the point of the gag, which is what you looking at as well. Everything Brilliant. goes wrong. So I have a question to the group. Does Simon make it to the end of this series in his current role on the show? Oh, it also sounds like one for Predictor Partridge, but my guess would be that I don't think you're going to see six weeks of incompetence and things just going wrong. I think there will come a, a point where clearly you're not going to see anything outside of the show but I think Simon is not going to make it to the end <laughs> I'm going to go bold here and say that by the end of the series Simon is going to have Ruth's job huge nice. one way huge or another true. Mm. Uh, I think Simon will have some kind of redemption moment where I don't know what that looks like whether he just I don't know can finish a segment and actually do it competently I don't know whether that's, <laughs> whether that's a victory but there will be some kind of redemption I think for Simon uh, shall we move on to uh, the return of Ruth Duggan? Uh, yes, but I think as we move into that section, as Alan takes his sit ne- seat next to Jenny, you hear a loud thud in the background. So yep. we've had a few messages questioning. Pick up we've had that. a few messages questioning what was that loud thud? I mean, uh, I think some people have tweeted saying, "Did did Alan thump Simon?" I couldn't imagine that would happen, but I feel maybe Simon or Alan has pushed over the digi wall, perhaps. I think it's that. Remember. The distance from the digi wall back to the sofa is, what did you say, Tom, 13 steps? 13 or 14 steps, yeah. So he's had to sort of get a bit of a jog on to get back over to the sofa. So he's just, yeah, he's pegged it over and he slipped. He's crash landed. Yeah, exactly. That that makes better sense. I think let's go with that. (laughs) Uh, So there's a segment now about driverless cars. Ruth Duggan is back. This week she's at AI Mobile Tech. Um, I thought it's quite brave of the writers to put two sort of rerun segments back to back, the digi wall and then a Ruth report. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think this feels this, this was the point in the episode where I did feel like they were potentially just treading ground and that these now become like the conceit is funny, but you are repeating it again and again. And whilst that contradicts something I said probably about 10 minutes ago (laughs) where I was comfortable with it, this, this felt like the breaking point where actually you are just repeating yourself a little bit. You're allowed to change your mind. Did anyone notice um, that AI Mobile Tech is a Cambridge-based software company? Is that a reference to Cambridge Analytica? Quite similar. Oh, quite possibly. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, Alan says to Ruth, I'm sure we'll be speaking to each other a great deal now I'm the new co-host. Hope there are no hard feelings, which is met with absolute silence, but a very, <laughs> yeah. a very slow wink that lets you know that she has heard him. Yeah, I mean, my note here is Ruth is actually a bit of a dick. Alan's trying his best to be very cordial on television and she's just being smug and not having it. Yeah. Yep. Um, and remember, the crime was splashing Shandy. Like, that's all it was, a Shandy splash. Yep. She should have got over it, shouldn't she? Um, yeah. this, this segment kind of develops like a strategy game. Uh, Alan this time fails to get Ruth on side, but does interject in a way that means that basically Jenny has to be on his side and Ruth is literally out in the cold. Um a couple of points where Alan is disagreed with. Uh, he says uh, that driverless cars represents a drastic change. Uh, oh, I don't know about drastic. Uh, jobs potentially lost to robots. Well, actually, the government say it will reduce unemployment uh, and presumably premiums are going to go through the roof. No, in fact, the opposite. Um, so, uh, yeah. And as Ruth agrees with Jenny, he, he says under his breath, here we go. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he's, on, he's on safer ground here, isn't he? Because we're talking about cars, which is Alan's area of expertise. Yep. So uh, he's, mm. he's certainly on safer ground when he gets to the bit where he's disproving everything that Ruth says. Yeah, when it comes to anything of a technical nature, that, that's when he's got her by the Jaffas, isn't it? 
Yeah, and his hand has been, I think, somewhat forced. Um, this is him reacting to her being a dick rather than him being a dick um, off his own back. So I'm kind of with him on this one. Yeah, I, I think you're you're behind Alan in this section, aren't you? Yep. I yeah. wonder if we're going to have a, uh, again, another one for Predictor, Predictor Partridge. I wonder if we're going to have an Alan win of the week sort of thing in uh, in, in this time where he, where he gets the better of someone in a segment or uh, somehow comes out on top looking good in a segment. Mm. I hope so. I find myself gunning for those moments now. Uh, yeah. I, wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't have wanted him to win back in the day, but uh, yeah, I, I want one of those every week now. I think it's time to talk about corporal punishment. There's a segment because it's been three decades since it was abolished. Um, I looked up the facts for this. Uh, it was actually banned in 1986 in public schools. Uh, would anyone care to guess when it was banned in private schools? Oh, later. 1995. 2002. Well, uh, you went to private school, Stab. Why don't you tell us? I, there was no corporal punishment. I can. I, I mean, I I did, and I will. Um, there was no corporal punishment when I was there, and I joined in 1993. So I'm going to guess 1989. Are you but sure is that that's because just because you were very well it's behaved? Because you're a very good boy, <laughs> <laughs> top boy. Uh, no, it was actually 1998 in England and Wales. Uh, would anyone like to guess when it was banned in private schools in Ireland? Last week, <laughs> never. It, it's still not. It's not banned. <laughs> You're not far off. It was banned in Ireland in, in private schools in 2003, which means there is a Westlife Greatest Hits album that's older than the ban on corporal punishment. <laughs> Brilliant, fantastic. Uh, it was at this uh, point that I noticed that uh, there was no tooth badge on Alan's lapel this week. Ah, uh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I wonder why. What does it mean? We do not know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they took it off him when they realised he'd become a vegetarian. Maybe. I really enjoyed the bit when they're setting up this next VT piece about corporal punishment as well, uh, where they have to lay out the difference between corporal punishment and capital punishment. Um, and Alan says, some BBC One viewers find added clarity useful. Thought that was a great gag working on two levels. Obviously, in the layer of the APU, it's the Alan trope of he knows all TV viewers are thick. And in the real world, it's obviously a BBC One show mocking the actual genuine viewing public of BBC One. I did wonder if that might have been a genuine show note that the writers got when they were making this series, and so they've <laughs> added it in as a joke. <laughs> like the guide to how to make programmes for the BBC One. Yes. Uh, now all hail the arrival of Lynn's Lunchbox. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn, Lunchbox, I'm starving. Uh, can I shock you? I think I actually prefer a penguin to a double-decker or a topic. Is that in the context of it being more premium, though? Because I think the question we need to ask ourselves is, what's more premium, a topic or a double-decker, or indeed well, a penguin? Or shortbread. Or shortbread, yeah. Well, how, co- how can we settle that? Uh, well, we could put it to a poll. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. If you must. <laughs> it, <laughs> we've, we've had a poll on ice pups. Um, and what was the result of that? Any, uh, the result, the result that was Richard was by a landslide the better name for a pup than Silas. And is there actually anything else to cover on ice no, pups before we move no, on? Move on, we crunch for time. Uh, what about last week's poll? Since you are poll obsessed, well, the results are unanimous. The results are, are that Gibraltar CID with fifty percent of the vote from a massive, if we do say so ourselves, three hundred twenty-three votes. So many Blimey. messages. Um, I'm very dozens. angry. I'm angry that I'm never going to get to see the contents of that money cave in Cash Chasers. <laughs> that came last. <laughs> that finished last, unfortunately, Adam, with only 6% of the vote. Then Scotland's Strongest Man with 10% of the vote. And in second place, Flytip Squad with 34%. 
Yes. <laughs> okay, so Nick, you're gonna you're gonna set up a poll on chocolate bars for this week. But I think what's key for us to all bear in mind is that Alan's back on TV, so he can afford to kick it up a notch. Uh, yeah, well, he, he likes to think so anyway. <laughs> also, look at him ransack that sandwich. That is speed eating like you've never seen. Uh, as Lynn says, it's a seeded batch. You'll never break it down. Uh, but he does. <laughs> he, pro- he proves it wrong, to be fair. Um, that was good her, egg. Her runoff set is also brilliant, isn't it? Her That's little amazing. Shuffle, panic to, yeah, yeah the, the panic look on her face. Uh, did you guys think the, the relationship between Lynn and Alan in uh, this segment this week... That's a bit more what we're used to, I think. She's at his service, and she's basically taking his shit. You know, he's offloading on her about premium quality chocolate bars. She's even offering to take... Uh, she's even offering her hanky for him to spit his sandwich out into. That's a bit more Lynn at your service that I think we've seen in previous <laughs> Alan, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, I like the, uh, that, that being the kind of the tagline of, of Lynn. Lynn. At your service. I <laughs> <laughs> um, also thought it shows a, a, a serious lack of consideration for Jenny that he's basically inhaling an egg sandwich and then talking right in front of her. Yeah, absolutely gross. Although I do like an egg sandwich in a seeded batch. Would eat. It's a no from me. Yeah, and, and me. me. Okay, oh. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so obviously, little payoff for this. He's got a bit of food in his teeth, and then we're on to uh, St Jude's High School. Uh, yes, sorry, just before we go school. on to this section, I would like to say this film contains teachers some viewers may find disturbing. <laughs> I actually think it's not the teacher that was disturbing, it's the young Alan Partridge that was disturbing. Get it also con- stuff of nightmares. It also contains teachers that some viewers may mistake for Mark Heap from Friday Night Dinner on yes! the first class <laughs> oh, yeah. as well. I did the same. I did the same. When Alan uh, does, does the last little bit to camera before we go to his old school, do you notice there's bits of sandwich in his teeth as well? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, noticed that. I, I did just say that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, that bit. Yeah, 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 no, I saw that bit. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I thought yeah. when he was doing the bit at St Jude's. Oh no! no. He opens, opens at St Jude's with him crouching down. You hear his knees crunch like gravel, <laughs> and you see genuine distress on his face at the state of his knees. He says he was a pupil at St Jude's in the seventies. I haven't had a chance to look at the timeline whether that actually stacks up with I Partridge and everything. If, if it's a numbers game, can't we get Adam? Can't we get Adam to run the numbers? No, let's move on. <laughs> uh, his secondary now specialises in arts and media studies, but back in the 1970s, it was an actual school. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um, whenever he gets to kick London, I enjoy it. Or whenever he gets to shit on media studies, I also enjoy it. Mainly, <laughs> mainly because that is a course that uh, Tom and I did at uni. Um, (laughs) yeah absolutely meaningless in i'm alan partridge he gives a talk at his school was that his primary school or was that this school do we think uh i think that had a secondary uh feel to it uh but yeah i I don't know he he was telling the kids to rubber up and handing out toffos so i think i think they were teenagers probably yeah you're not gonna have a dark room in a primary school are you there you go good point uh, there's a lovely transition between uh, old Alan and schoolboy Alan as he passes behind a pillar at the school uh, yeah. until until he fluffs it by old <laughs> Alan wandering into shot at the same time as new Alan. Yeah, that was brilliant. Uh, that's like I, I'm wondering if that's going to become a regular feature, a sort of lovely quick visual gag like this. That's basically this week's man falling off the seating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, you can also, see he's he's ta- he's tapping his foot. And like, kind of visibly counting down, like waiting for the sound effects to finish before he goes yep. up the stairs as well. Oh, nice, nice uh, spot. He also says, "These days, the corridors ring out with laughter. There is nobody else in the corridors except him." <laughs> <laughs> 
And then we go into the, the reconstruction of uh, his former school, uh, his former classroom. And I just made the note that all the school kids in the reconstruction all have terrible wigs on. They look awful. <laughs> cheap cheap I, 70s wigs. Yeah. Uh, he says, as he's called to the front of the class, that uh, normally when this happens, he thinks... He was being disruptive. Go on, sir. Batter him. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, I love that. But it turns right. out in this case, the, the child was him, and he's, he's hand, been handed a note with a teacher with a penis for his nose. Uh, and then there's the slow reveal of probably the most haunting moment of the episode. Maybe Partridge, yeah, so what, maybe partridge ever. Definitely. It's, it's horrific. Yeah, I was going to say, where do we kind of stand on this? Like, personally speaking, I know it's obviously part of the joke is it doesn't look good and that's funny, but I just found this this bit a bit odd. I didn't think it was particularly funny and it was just a bit weird. Mm, it was like an Apex Twin video. It was, or just actually, like, just like <laughs> Or actually, Daddy. something you'd see in, like, uh, Chris Morris's Jam or something like that, because it was... Obviously, the joke is it's really badly done, but it was also quite unsettling. It was a bit like a waking nightmare. I think that's why I liked it because it was almost kind of you know something from another comedy. It was very, it was a little bit on Alan. It was something that we haven't seen before in Alan, and I can totally understand how some people might find that jarring and weird and harrowing. I just thought it was really funny. I love the fact that the face is on the wrong wrong angle, completely. Oh yeah, when he gets hit and his face literally falls off his face. (laughs) Um, I I really enjoyed it. I I mean, it is odd, but I think there are moments of... It's it's funny because in each episode so far, there's been a moment of oddness. I think there was a bit last week that, that Stab, you enjoyed less because it was so... We, oh, when he's trying to do the voiceovers oh, for the, the animals. Cr- yeah, cringy. And then this week, the creepy moment is his, this sort of weird face-like fusion. And every week, one of us finds something really kind of eerie and gross that, that the others find funny. And I think that's a bit of a mm. common theme of, of this series. I've got three quick bullet points about uh, Alan's face superimposed onto a boy. One, I think it was done at Alan's insistence. Two, I think they couldn't find a young Alan that he approved of in the role. And so he was like, <laughs> I'll play it myself. And three, I think this only came about because he's dazzled by the possibilities of a BBC effects budget. Alan's sliding down the banisters in the next scene. And then obviously when he lands, his knees crack again. <laughs> yes. And also what he's saying, he speeds up as he's going fa- down yes. the banister faster as well. Yeah. Uh, this whole bit, uh, the kind of underlying theme seems to be that he's actually been very affected by corporal punishment. Uh, he's now coming back to the school with quite a lot to prove, trying to look cool, sliding down the banisters, later giving a masterclass in how to slip someone across a room. Like, it just feels like he's sort of, he's sort of come back to prove, <laughs> prove that he's, he, they're, not, they're not the boss of him, even though they basically hit him in the face when he was a kid. Can I just say, for me, the bit with smacking the mannequin with a shoe or whatever it was, that didn't do much for me. I, yeah. I think it went on too long. I got the gag within 10 seconds. I didn't need 50 seconds of it. Oh, no, I completely disagree. I very much enjoyed the unnecessary <laughs> slow-mo uh, detail in terms of the move uh, to basically see yeah. a child's anus be destroyed and to be face, <laughs> face planted across the room. <laughs> To be I would fair, say I, I do get how the comedy lies in the fact it is it, it is so overdone the, yeah. the long slow mo sections and stuff. But I just found that there's all, there's just so much going on in all of these shows. I just think you sometimes get to a bit you go, we just give us something else, you know. 
I've been, I think I've been down on quite a few sections in this episode, and this bit's no different. I think it is way too long. It's not very funny. Like he's over, like the trope of Alan over explaining things, like from a technical point of view and how things work, is my least favourite part. What's well, some of my least favourite parts. Yeah, this bit isn't funny at all. Cutting room floor, please. And why must a mannequin be naked? <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> I think um, the, the one thing I do like about this sequence is is that Alan's takeaway from the world of corporal punishment is that what people need, even though it's been banned for 30 years, is a masterclass in how to yeah. do it better. And also, he's, he seems to think that teachers using corporal punishment should have been setting out to beat every child across the room. <laughs> See, this, this bit, is it. It's like this is this is why it's funny. It's like you've been all these years. You've been smacking your child wrong. Like look at look at look at the like the standard technique is this, and look at the effect that the the young boy is still able to stand up if you if you if you balance if you improve your balance, you draw your arm right back and pivot. You can literally send the child feet into the air and face planting into the ground. That's how you should be doing it. BBC One viewers, <laughs> Nick. You know what? You you've sold it to me now. You sold it to me. No, <laughs> what I'm saying is Nick exp- Nick explaining it is funnier than the actual sketch itself. Watching which... it, yeah, yeah. I mean, my my concluding notes for this bit really were: you you have to assume the conceit that either Alan oversaw the making of this VT or Pedri Productions made it because one, it's badly made as we've discussed, and two, we learn absolutely nothing. There's no point or conclusion to this VT. <laughs> but if you, if you frame it in the one show type world, it makes the vegetarianism segment looks like good TV in comparison. And we learn nothing from that as well, really. Uh, one important thing I did learn from this was another piece of the puzzle of Alan's squash career. Um, he says that he has a coach. So we know that he has a coach but he still loses to Adrian Childs on days that he's had a big breakfast uh, and he mm. has a squash trophy in his kitchen that we believe he's bought himself. Uh, that's Alan's, <laughs> Alan's unremarkable squash career to date. Um, also, did you notice that he blows the whistle to start himself on every swing of the slipper? Uh, presumably <laughs> just for a sort of PE vibe, but I mean, what purpose does that serve, really? He's, he's telling himself when but to again, go. Actually, it's, de- it's, de- it's details like that I didn't think about and actually that is quite funny. It is, yeah, and the, anno- the annotated diagram, like the fact that it, it, it pauses, there's an annotated diagram about where your arm should be in relation to your knee to really get maximum force on that child's bum. Are we still talking <laughs> about this? I'm just looking yeah, at my phone funny. now. Is it time it's to funny. move on to the, uh, the panel discussion? Although, it is uh, <laughs> a serious topic. <clears throat> hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Sorry, should I just say that again? Because I'm sort of coughing again. Uh, is it time to move on to the panel discussion? It is yes. indeed. Okay, well, the first note I have on this bit is that uh, underneath Jenny introducing the panel section, you have Alan referencing Carol as a really awful woman and then a functioning alcoholic. Um, also, that it's she... quite hard to hear him say those bits, so subtitles help me with that. Preceded by the fact that she used to be the one that hit the kids, but now she's their favourite. Oh. Riddle, riddle me that one, he says. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also really enjoyed the way that Alan walked over towards Paul Froggett in this section. Uh, he just kind of turned in quite a weird way, and then he can't find a place to stand. Uh, I thought it was great and worthy of a rewind if you haven't watched it yet. Good bit of physical comedy there. Uh, can I talk a little bit about the uh, ambitious nature of this segment? So if you look at the people that are gathered around Alan and Jenny, there are 10 guests. Um, there are four minutes and 35 seconds of the show left to go. <laughs> Brilliant. Even if Alan hadn't absolutely fucked this segment, assuming that the hosts speak for half the time, each guest would have had just under 14 seconds to make their point. (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. Top work. We go first to the former head teacher who headed the campaign to abolish corporal punishment. I thought he was quite reminiscent of Alan's former head teacher, Kaki Raphael, to the point that I wondered if they were even the same Mm. person, but I guess they're Uh, not. No, because the actor that played him died last year, I think. Oh, well, there we go. God All rest right. his educational soul. R.I.P. Kaki Raphael. Uh, Carol Bleers from the Daily Mail thinks that we shouldn't have banned uh, corporal punishment. <laughs> Did you note the disdain in which he says the Daily Mail as well? I loved that. Well, I, I thought that was great. There was a knowing look that yeah. uh, I kind of enjoyed. It was like almost like Steve breaking through of... and just giving a little wink to the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think in the, in the Alan universe, you would think... Well, particularly Alan that we know from I'm Alan Partridge, he'd probably try and be trying his best to befriend a Daily yeah. Mail journalist, whereas yeah. this actually is a very nice small indication that the Alan we see today has changed. People can change. Yeah, I do also like that the joke here about the Daily Mail with the book that Carol Blears has written is as subtle as a sledgehammer being basically smashed across your face. Oh, oh yeah, he, she... walk, he walks off just saying, hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she wrote Amazing. a book attacking political correctness called Fat Black Cripple. a thorny issue I thought also uh, it's a delicious bit of daily mail baiting as we obviously know Coogan is very much against the paper but they did do quite well to rein this in I mean if I was if I was if I was writing for the Daily Mail, and I must stress I'm not, um, that uh, if I was watching this, I'd be like, oh, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig in now. We're about to get a blasting. And then they sort of move on quite quickly. Well, I think that kind of they, they say as much as they do by not saying anything as they do by saying something. Um, although I do enjoy at this point that uh, Alan obviously tries to kind of uh, move the discussion on uh, a quick poll for the 10 people to ask if school discipline is too soft. Roughly half agree to which Alan says, shocking. <laughs> um, we noticed that Ted's back from last week. Ted, yeah. the uh, Ted, the guest from Sunderland, and the old woman that spoke into the microphone. Yeah, I, I found this a bit weird. Like, is it? It's obviously not just you know uh, lazy writing or the fact that they couldn't employ other actors, so they tried to use multiple people. But 
obviously the joke is he tries to come down to every show, but I did think it was a bit odd to again be reusing characters and not introduce new faces. But it is the joke that arguably this time perhaps doesn't have many people that want to go there and sit in the studio because the people that do choose to do that are a bit weird. Because you have Ted from Sunderland and you've got the old lady who always tries to talk into the microphone. <laughs> Two familiar faces. <laughs> Yeah, quite possibly that. I mean, I like to think that they're that they're building up to uh, Ted being Michael's brother, and that that's why we keep seeing him. I'm, I'm hoping there's more to it than he just turns up. One thing that's quite weird though is that Ted turned up every week to the detriment of his kids that are now in care. Primarily, we thought because of his uh, admiration for John Baskell. So that does make me wonder why he's he's back again now. See, I, I don't think I don't think there's a connection to Michael at all. I think people are jumping on that because he's from Sunderland, but lots of people come from Sunderland. I, I think people are kind of straws there. I'm going to do uh, some live research right now. How many people are from Sunderland? That's true, but I just, I just think there is a case for it. They, they seem similar ages. They seem sort of similarly odd in their behaviours. Uh, I'm sure there are lots of similar age and odd people from Sunderland as well. Yes, but they're not all in an Alan Partridge show, are they? Uh, guys, but Alan's only taken over the show temporarily, so that. Like he's he's been coming there for years to see John, so I, I just don't I don't think this is going to develop to be a plot point at all. But I know a lot of people online do, so prove me wrong. As of two thousand and eleven, there are one hundred and seventy four thousand two hundred and eighty six people from Sunderland or in Sunderland. That's a lot of people. Okay, all right. Well, I'm still I'm still believing. Don't stop. oh well back to the head teacher alan puts a hypothetical situation to him that uh, a a man from the uh, what was it the st bastard school called bad gav no bobby rascal knucklesford uh yeah basically uh it it says if a boy was disparaging your wife how would you handle it and then the head teacher says well i don't handle him that's the point which i thought was actually quite a good line although he is a bit smug in how he delivers it um, yeah, it's too good an answer, though, isn't it? It's yeah, just, it's, it's yeah, that. that's right. <laughs> uh, and then Alan flubs his line, saying, uh, "Yeah, does cycling continue a violence of abuse?" <laughs> oh, but the best bit as well, the way he continues that, okay, uh, violence of abuse with a chap, <laughs> because Ted from Sunderland wants to speak. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh God, God, does Ted from Sunderland want to speak? Oh God, oh, let's yeah. Let's talk about right. Ted's story. Uh, I literally, yeah, I'm so exasperated by this. Uh, this was one of the few like points in the show where I just I lost patience with it. It it really wasn't funny. You know, I've I've got mixed feelings on this because I didn't hate it, but I was also kind of willing it on to end. If you know what I mean, like just I think get to the get I to think, the punchline with it. Yeah, I think they. I think the joke thinks it's cleverer than it is, and the yeah. longer it goes on, the dafter it becomes. I think. Although it's still great comic timing, the delivery of all these sections is really well done. It's really well acted. Yeah, I given that. I I I, did, I enjoyed this. Um, I think you're right. It did go on a bit a bit too long, um, but it. it kind of reminded me of the section in Know Me Knowing You the story with Angela Lansbury's copper kettle yes. uh, and how they kept kind of <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah kind of mistaking people for other people um, yeah I don't know it, it, it went on a shade too long I think a few scenes in this episode have gone on a shade too long but I thought it was overall quite funny it concluded in a good way though with uh, the trope of Alan having accuracy above all else so he must get it right so at the end he's like please God say yes <laughs> I thought that was good I thought that was quite yeah. neat uh, Alan starts to sum up by saying, well, we've had plenty of views on all sides of the debate. Uh, <laughs> I fact-checked this. We've had, we had one view from one side of the debate and about three minutes of view from no side of the debate. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, 
uh, crucially, Ted's entire story, that I think the funniest thing about it was that it wasn't to do with corporal punishment at all. It was just about violence in general. So it was, <laughs> the whole thing was irrelevant. And I think you led, I think they lead you to believe that they're supposed to be plugging Paul's book, which obviously they haven't done. So he says, Paul, you've written a book about smacking. That's the only airtime they give it as well. <laughs> oh, I like that Alan guesses the exact plot of the head teacher's book, though, like because it's so formulaic <laughs> that basically yeah. a head teacher that's written a book could only write a book so formulaic that Alan can guess the plot in about 10 seconds. Uh, did you love the way that then, that out of nowhere, Alan just then goes on to, sadly, no time for our second moral debate, do dogs go to heaven? There's so I'm, much to unpack with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure Nick's got some views as it's dog related. Well, I, I think I, we should, what do we reckon? Do we put this as the poll or the chocolate <laughs> one as the poll? We do we want to poll on polls. which poll to run? Yeah, Could it be that. two polls? Uh, I think if you're <laughs> going to do a, if you're going to do a poll that's do dogs go to heaven, you're going to have to have three options. One is yes, one is no, and the other is I've got two dogs, which is what the old lady <laughs> says in the background. <laughs> oh god, that is brilliant. I felt it felt like quite a day to day type moment, something like that. That that would be a topic of discussion in the show because yeah. it's there's quite a surreal element to it, and I think that is actually something where sometimes a bit said this time that I haven't liked that much because they felt a bit grating. That's when they're bringing in a slightly more surreal element, which Alan has always been attached to from the on the hour day to day days, day to day days. There have always been those slightly weird bits that aren't very true to life. But I think people are so used to a more real world Alan from the I'm Alan Partridge days. That's why they feel a bit odd, perhaps. Yeah, a bit of surrealism creeping back in again. Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, there's a deep sigh from Alan and Jenny, and that's basically the end of the episode, yep. eh? Uh, Sagging so, shoulders, lights go down. What did everybody think of episode three? I'm getting the feeling perhaps you're not big fans. Oh, for, I think this was one of my favourites, to be honest. I think the highs are exceptionally high. I just think it's let down by a couple of lows, which for me were um, the gags that were a bit drawn out and the section with um, Ruth that I just felt like was almost an out-and-out rehash of a gag that we'd seen before and was at best fine when we saw it the first time. Uh I think this is actually my favourite so far. I think it had the fastest pace. It was the most laden with, with treats and Easter eggs, the, the clip of Michael, uh, a nice rhythm, some repeated gags that I didn't think felt too old. So like the Know Me Knowing You confu- style confusion about Ted's story, Ruth coming back, Simon's Digiwall. Uh, no mention of John, crucially. Uh, I think that's probably a good thing. I do think they were going to drag that... Erased from history. I thought they were going to drag that story out into, a, into this episode, but I guess rehashing that would kind of slow the pace of the show and the narrative a bit i wonder if maybe that will come back to bite them at the end of the series yeah i don't know i mean i I think for me my my best bit was probably seeing alan in the credits or the vegetarianism vt although it still could have been shorter i did like that the worst bit for me is probably the school vt so i'm a bit of a mixed bag i liked it but i would think some sections could have been better uh, this is easily the weakest of the series for me. Um, I can't imagine that there will be an episode as bad as this. Um, I don't think. I think there's lots of really funny stuff, and I would say I genuine, uh, generally enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, easily the most amount of chuff, um, prolonged weak section and weak moments. Um, the doctor's section, the gym section, the prostitute section, the smacking tutorial section, and the smoking story. I mean, I would easily... So half of it. Yeah, e- yeah, easily. But I still think there's some really, really good stuff in it. And I think the section with Simon's Digiwall and uh, the and Alan's photo, uh, Alan's photo sinking up to the Digiwall, easily the best bit of the episode, I think. 
I mean, yeah. I think if you, if you didn't like this, why not try uh, Ricky Gervais's Afterlife? Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> you said it's terrible. <laughs> well, yeah, but I like this, so, you know. <laughs> So that's the end of our thoughts on uh, episode three. But uh, how are the IMDb stats and uh, viewing figures looking? Hi there, I've got that information. So the third episode, <laughs> on, <laughs> the third episode on IMDb has got a star rating of eight out of ten from forty votes so far, which is on par that's... with episode two. So it's joined. Oh, is it? So, I th- yeah. I thought that was the lowest of the series. Interesting. Uh, and then I can give you the viewing figures. Let me just pull those up. At some point in our dissection of this series, we should probably discuss how the media have been covering the viewing figures for this series because the Daily Mail have been having a bit of a dig. I wonder why. <laughs> Certainly seems to be uh, picking and choosing figures that suit mm. their argument as well. Yeah. So a quick reminder, the first episode got three point. 2 million viewers, consolidated figures that includes iPlayer of 4.8 episode 2 1.88 million viewers consolidated impacts is what they call it in the TV business of 2.9 million, so a drop from 4.8 to 2.9 on uh, the second episode and then episode 3, the overnights that came in 1.68 million so a drop of about 200,000 from episode 2 it's interesting because I wonder if the consolidated figures are dropping because that's within a seven-day period, isn't it? So yes. it might just be people still are on a catch-up on a catch-up. So in summary, don't know. Uh, and consolidated figures last week were up about 50% on overnight, same for episode two as episode one. Yeah, so exactly. So the trend is yeah. basically continuing. Once again, we've had so much feedback uh, about the APU and this episode of This Time and the series in general that we're folding it into a special episode which is going to land tomorrow. Uh, if you do want to get in touch with us, uh, we might feature you on a future feedback episode. It's at Monkey Tennis Pod on Instagram, at The Partridge Pod on Twitter, facebook.com slash The Partridge Pod, The Partridge Pod at gmail.com, or you can call the Monkey Tennis Hotline. We prefer it if you WhatsApp voice note us. It's 07923 uh, So there's a couple of things left to do for, before the end of this episode. Episode. Firstly, it's time to round up Predictor Partridge. Each week, each host tries to guess what's going to happen in next week's episode, uh, and it's time to see how we did on episode three. Uh, just as a reminder, currently all of us have zero points apart from Nick, who's got one. Eh? Let's go through the Predictor Partridges. <laughs> Nick predicted this week that the word Brexit will be heard. That did not occur. Uh, I predicted that there would be comedic editing out of John. Uh, in the credits or Alan would be in the credits recreating John's exact poses that did not occur Tom Dark predicted that Lynn will be involved in sabotage that gets Alan the full time job that did not occur Tom Stab said that the updated title sequence will include Alan that did occur Yay. so Nick and Tom Stab now on one myself and Tom Dark on zero Adam I'd give yourself half a point for that to be yeah, honest I think, I think so too. your prediction was pretty much there yeah uh, okay well uh, on, fair enough have fair enough. point all oh, right, there we go. So that, well, that means you're the only one left on zero, so you've absolutely it's done fine. yourself there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so bloody brave. Uh, okay, so predictions <laughs> for episode four. If each of you would like to let me know the thing you think is going to happen in the next episode, uh, then we can tot it up next week. Okay, I feel that Alan is going to embellish and build upon the way he is introduced at the top of the show in the same way that that used to get bigger and bigger each time with Naomi knowing you. There's going to be something additional to his... Uh, start at the program mm-hmm. a solid prediction uh, who's next uh, I'm happy to go and I'm going to say that a dog will feature in the show a dog will feature <laughs> in the show 
Okay, Tom Stab, what you got? Well, actually, mine's relatively similar. I was going to say we will see an animal in the studio. I mean, okay. this is because we know that's going to happen, don't we? <laughs> no. Yeah, do we? We, we? We've already seen the episode synopsis that mentions dogs. Oh, I mean, I've forgotten all about that. Unbelievable oh, how very conduct. Convenient. Go okay, it's done now. It's done. We'll leave it in. We'll leave it in. Well, yep. All right. Yeah, okay, and also, okay, okay. Speaking of an animals, animal other, I'll amend mine then. An animal other than a dog will be seen in the studio. <laughs> so speaking of animals other than dogs, Adam. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I predict that Alan will try to either pin Jenny down on the specifics, re-meeting him outside of work, or by the time <laughs> by the good. time we see episode four, they will have already had an out of work meeting together. Nice. Uh, that's my predictor partridge. All that's left for this episode is to go to our cat PA correspondent, Lynn 50, for her thoughts on this week's episode of This Time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so thanks, Lynn 50, for uh, your reaction to this week's episode. And thanks to all of you for listening to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. Please do subscribe uh, on iTunes, etc., to make sure you don't miss an episode. And please do drop us a review if you'd like. Uh, it means we hit more people, and that just puts smiles on our faces. Generally makes the podcast a better place to be. Uh, from all of us at Monkey Tennis, thanks and goodbye. See you. it. Yeah? Aha! Done! Back of the net. Monkey tennis? In no way, you big spastic, you're a mentalist! Damn! Oh, well, that was just a noise. Monkey tennis? I got uh, really drunk last night. Sick everywhere. Monkey tennis? Uh, minor criticism, more distance between the eggs and the beans. Monkey tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. You're attacking. Basically, Beef tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you on an E? Monkey tennis? Well, can I have a glass of water, please?